increases. Yeah. So when you go through the withdrawal, it increases the risk for depression and suicidal behaviors. And because adolescence, it's a phase where everything is up and down. So we also can rule out other issues because that's also the period where you're more concerned about your body image. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe, the place to learn about how to navigate the healthcare system and understand health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita Boston-Fisher, a health educator with a passion for meeting people where they are. Today's guest is Dr. Zenobia Bryant. Zenobia is here to share with us some of her healthcare navigation experiences and also talk to us about her initiative, Black Health, Black Wealth. Grab your warm drink and let's get to the episode. Hi, Zenobia. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you for coming. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Thank you for having me. I am so excited for this opportunity. I am um, Zenobia Bryant. I have a PhD in public health with a concentration in epidemiology, and I am the founder and CEO of Black Health, Black Wealth, which is a platform, a space for Black and brown women, a safe space. Our vision and mission is to work towards optimal wellness and true health equity. Why Black health, Black wealth? Simply because our health is our wealth. And so to shorten the name, I just simply just took out is and made it Black health, Black wealth. But it started as Black health is Black wealth. And I just from being in school, my bachelor's is in neuroscience and I was originally going to go to med school. So I've had a lot of experience with just how the healthcare system is designed. And I'm based in the United States. So especially how the, our healthcare system is designed, it wasn't designed for black and brown people. It really wasn't. And so a lot of times our health is not taken care of as it should be, whether we overlook things or the healthcare system does. And so it really came from a passion of mine to disseminate information and do what I can to give back to my community and uplift my fellow sisters. So Black Health, Black Wealth is a community for women only, is it? Yes. It's focused on women, but you know, because we show up in all areas of life. So I will, you know, disseminate information about signs for men's health because we have partners, we have spouses, you know, we have sons, nephews, brothers. So it's good if we have information, not just for us, but for the people in our family, our friends. That's pretty cool. Now, why would you say this health system was not designed for black and brown people? Well, systematic racism. It's okay. the it, the history of the United States is the history of the United States. We can't erase it. We can't ignore it. But historically, the bodies of the black and brown were used to as experiments. Our bodies yes. were used <laughs> to develop care for the majority during times of segregation. We weren't allowed in the affluent hospitals, the affluent doctor's office. It was not designed to care for us. Okay. Yeah. I like that. So you say that and things are coming to mind like Tuskegee, Henrietta Lacks. Now Henrietta was in an upscale place, but they were using her. You also said that I thought really interesting. So Black Health, Black Wealth is designed for optimal wellness and true health equity. Tell me about true health equity. So 
it moves beyond equality and equity meets people where they need to be met. So Mm -hmm. not everyone needs the same thing. So there's this famous picture that shows the difference between, you know, equality and equity. Equality kind of just gives everybody the same thing, but doesn't meet them exactly Mm -hmm. where they are. So cardiovascular health, for example, some people may have knowledge of cardiovascular health and how to take care of it. They just don't have yet the means to make those changes. We know there are certain ways that you should eat to help your cardiovascular health. But then you go in the store and the healthier foods are either, you know, they're overpriced or more expensive than what's, you know, what you can afford. Or you may live in an area which is called the food desert where you have to travel further out to get the healthier options and you may not have transportation. So equity looks at the entire situation, the entire environment. And, you know, it's not just giving everybody information. It's, okay, you have the information. What do you need to help you meet these goals mm-hmm. or make these changes? Thank <laughs> you. Is there any experience that you've had in particular that you feel like might drive the, the reason between behind Black health, Black wealth, or just in general, an experience that you've had in healthcare navigation that you found frustrating? Oh, so many stories. <laughs> so when I was a freshman in college, my mom uh, was actually diagnosed with breast cancer. She's a breast cancer survivor. But the, yeah, yeah. And we're so thankful. But the initial diagnosis was scary. And, you know, you go to the doctor, they give you all, you know, all this information, but then you have to take it back home and try to decipher it. So I remember sitting down with her trying to, you know, we're looking at treatment options and, you know, which one is the best. And by me being at the time pre-med in the family, I was always the one everyone came to with their medical questions. I'm nobody's doctor, but <laughs> even my grandmother would call me and be like, well, you know, my doctor said, and I'm like, well, you didn't ask your doctor while you were in the office. <laughs> I kind of learned on the fly how to, so I'm the one who, you know, I read, I read my medication packets. I know the, you know, side effects and what it, it I'm not actually person. read that insert in the box. I do. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I'm one of the few that does. Yep. And because I like to know, like, you know, I don't recommend this for the general population, but I am a Googler. (laughs) I have a Google MD. (laughs) It's not always a good thing. It, I will say though, it has saved my life a few times. (laughs) One particular instance, I remember Googling symptoms and, you know, they were like, get to the hospital right away. I, I couldn't breathe. Come to find out I had walking pneumonia. So, you know, but just, you know, being away from home in college, you know, you have to change insurance when you get to a certain age in the state. So it's now 26, but that means you may also have to change primary care physicians. You know, as a Black woman, I like to have doctors and physicians who look like me. And 
So, you know, figuring out how to find physicians, Googling practices, checking out the website. I think one thing I wish I had known or applied earlier is the fact that it's okay to change doctors if you're not getting what you need. Since I am a researcher, I'm the one who comes in with my list of symptoms in the manila folder. I am that person. And honestly, it got that way because I felt like I was not being heard in the doctor's office without having the notes, right? I'm sitting at the table telling you what's going on and I'm told, oh, it's just IBS. No. So then I go do my own research and it's like all these symptoms that I'm telling you I have actually point towards endometriosis. How do we get to IBS? So that's how that's really how it came about. That's how I became that person is because I was like, well, if you're not going to hear the words out of my mouth, then I'm going to print out the research with the highlights saying, well, I have this symptom. I have this symptom. So that's really what drives it. Because I sat down and I was like, there's no one place for us to go to kind of figure this out. And it was just trial and error. And then I realized, oh, well, if if this doctor is not hearing me, I can find another doctor. Like I, I am infamous for ghosting physicians. If you don't hear me, that's fine. I won't be back. I'll make an appointment with somebody else. Like, that's fine. <laughs> what is What's their face like when you come with your portfolio, you know, <laughs> review page five, please. I think what you need they're, they're often like, taken a little back and then, then it's kind of like, oh, I guess I didn't need to have a seat. Yes. And, and, and I think the advantage is because I was pre-med. I've done rotations in the hospitals. I've done internships. I've applied to medical school. So I kind of have more knowledge you know, even as a public health practitioner, there's still a level of medical knowledge, depending on what field you go into. So, you know, I'm the one that reads journal articles. Like, I, yeah, I'm that person. I like, let me see the data. Give me the data. I don't, <laughs> no, 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 no. I need to see these methods and these results. But I am that person. <laughs> I'm going to ask questions. I'm, you know, I'm, I feed questions to my parents. Like when you go to the doctor, ask them this, this is what you need. This is the information you need. So yeah, they're often surprised because I know I look young and I'm, I can be a little timid, but then when it comes down to it and I reach over in my bag and I whip it out, I'm like, so what would you say to somebody who's like, Oh, but I mean, of course it's easy for her. She's got a PhD and epi and like, of course, like sure. She's going to ask questions. Sure. She knows what to ask, but I'm just, I don't know, Susan from the street, like how how do you encourage them along this same path? Don't let my education scare you. It's, you know, you can take charge of your own health. We Google, we TikTok everything now, you know, Mm -hmm. it's okay. I know. And I know what they don't want you is to diagnose yourself with Google, but it is okay to research. So if your doctor says, you know, recommends a specific medication it's okay to look it up it's okay to find someone who can explain it to you if you don't understand it's okay to say hey I need you to run this to me again because it's I mean it's okay to ask them to break it down in simpler terms make them take time with you don't just don't just let them like you have that scheduled appointment it's not your fault if they're running behind make them take the time 
you know, and if you need to take someone with you to the appointment, that's okay. Because sometimes they do give you a lot of information and you need someone else in the room to kind of filter the information or to pick up on what you may have missed. It's okay to record your appointments. You most definitely, not video, you know, depending on where you're going, I don't, <laughs> you can do like audio. I don't know. You, if you want to do video, that's fine. But, you know, you may not want that, that evidence. All right. I would say, though, at least maybe ask, say, you know, is it OK if I capture this because I'm not going to remember when I get home or my yeah. daughter's going to ask me exactly what you said or something like that? Well, that's why I said audio, because it's easier to just yeah. kind of put it on the audio and sit it down. Mm-hmm. You really just want the information. Yeah. So that so you can, you know, take your time with it and digest it at a mm-hmm. rate that's that works for you. I love that when you said something like, it's okay to ask them to break it down. I think we're always so intimidated for these things. And it's like, no, you're not expected to know. You didn't go to medical school. Ask them to say it again. You know, right, there's right. no shame in that. I do so. it all the time. Like, like you gave me the scientific name. What is it called? It seems to be a key part of Black health, Black wealth has to do with mental health. Is that true? And if so, why? Yes, it is. Because... Every facet of our lives is directly connected to your mental health. So for me, I used to think of mental health as kind of over here, you know, like my physical health is here and I need to do all these things to make sure I take care of my physical health and my mental health is just kind of here. Like I get to it when I get to it, or if I'm going through a really hard time, then I'm paying attention to it. But mental health really is important all of the time. It's connected to your physical health, your spiritual health. And I really think it's important to highlight that because your mental health can, how you eat, what you eat. So, So for example, depression, some people eat a lot, and some people stop eating. I was the latter. I did not eat. So I was really tiny and people assumed I was healthy, but mentally I wasn't. You know, it mental health can, if it's not, if you are depressed, you can be fatigued. Then you don't have the energy to do, you know, to work out, to meal prep, to make, you know, you really just kind of go to what's easy and what's quick. So I think it's really important that we understand that in order to kind of get the rest of our lives in order, your mental health comes first Mm and even impacts your finances. That's where I kind of started. I wanted to start from the top because it's easier to talk about what we should be doing physically, what we should be doing nutritionally. And especially with this ongoing pandemic, you know, it's important to highlight mental health in the Black community. It's something that, you know, now I'm seeing it talked about a lot more and I'm so grateful. But in the past, it was kind of like taboo. Like Black people don't get depressed. Black people don't see therapists. That's a myth. We need them. So, and it's okay. You know, it's okay to not be okay. And I feel like we've been so, it's been so ingrained in us to just, you know, put on this face, like you got to put the mask on, you got to, you just got to barrel through and it's okay to struggle. It's okay to need help. It's okay to not be okay. So. Mm -hmm. It's okay to not be okay. You mentioned that 
Mental health can even impact your finances. How so? I'm going to speak from my experience. It takes focus and self-control to stick to a budget, to manage finances. And there are a lot of times when I find myself going through a hard time, I tend to spend more on frivolous Mm -hmm. things, you know, whether it's Amazon Prime, prime example, this pandemic. I mean, I bought so much stuff and I was just like, you have got to stop. We have got to get a handle. But it's because I was, you know, trying to, feel space sometimes I just I dissociate and I dissociate by shopping on Amazon and so or going to Lowe's and getting more plants so like how some folks will say oh I stress eat it's like I stress stress shop or something like that and that I see I see the connection I've even sometimes I insomnia shop when Mm -hmm. I can't sleep it could be one o'clock in the morning. I'm scrolling on Amazon like, oh, what are the prime deals today? <laughs> you know, yeah. and so it takes it does take mental fortitude to sometimes pull yourself out of that, To Especially mm-hmm. if you're trying to save. And for me, I've been working on personally divorcing myself from the poverty mindset. So um, letting myself embrace wealth a lot of times my anxiety is kind of what, you know, I was like, oh, I need to buy this so I can have it, but you don't really need it. We don't need half the things we buy. But I, I learned that when my, when I started working on my mental health and my mental health began to heal, I noticed that I was doing better at my finances. I'm single. I don't have a husband or a child. Why was I ever spending $400 in groceries a month? What was I doing? It's stuff like that, you know, because when you stress eat, you have to have money to buy the food. So it's connected, right? (laughs) Or if you are, you know, known with alcohol, that takes money. So it really is Uh in a far reaching way. Your uh, mental health is connected to your finances. I love that parallel. I also thought it was interesting when you said, okay, like I'm going to start from the top. We're going to deal with mental health because that impacts the other aspects of your life, like eating and stuff. And I was like, yeah, she's right. (laughs) That's so true. It does. I suppose a part of mental health is mindset. And yeah, we could be saying, oh, I'm going to go to the gym or, oh, I'm going to eat right. But we also have to get our mind right if we're really going to push through on all those activities. So you do. I find that it's like an interesting relationship because once I was in the place where I could go to the gym regularly, now I'm like, I find it helps my mental health. So okay. I can tell the difference when I don't go versus when I do. But it was just getting there and getting consistent. And now that I'm consistent, I'm like, you know, I can tell the difference in my body and in my mind. Um, So I find that it's an interesting relationship because a lot of times we only focus on one aspect, not realizing, you know, it helps in other areas, right? Like we exercise to get fit or lose weight, but it also it's a great stress reliever. And it doesn't have to be the gym. Maybe the gym is not your thing, but riding a bike, cycling class, dancing, all these things help. And for me, it helps me practice mindfulness. Like that's the big thing, but my mind just does not stop. But in the gym, 
it stops <laughs> for some reason like when my soul is leaving my body on that treadmill my brain is only thinking about getting air into this i struggle to go to sleep because my brain is going all the time but that's one way i can get a pause because i'm focused yeah. only on right there <laughs> i can so relate to you on that for the little pocket of time that i had a gym routine going the only thing that I could focus on while I was there was staying alive. I was like, I cannot pass out in front of all these people. I just got to keep going. I just keep going. So that is, that is definitely one way to slow your mind down or at least distract it from whatever else you're focusing on. Zenobia, I know you mentioned that like sometimes your family members would call you and say, oh, well, the doctor told me this or that. Have you had success in empowering them to just, you know, Act on the information while you're there. <laughs> Just ask the questions. <laughs> I will say yes. Like my parents are definitely much better. Now my mom calls me after the doctor and it's like, oh, you know, they said this, this, and this, but you know, and I asked them this. And this. like, so I feel like it has, but I think it was more so of when I started practicing what I was preaching and when I, you know, started taking charge of what I could control. Yeah. It was kind of like, you know, an example, uh-huh. right? And so then they were like, oh, you know, that is good. We, yeah, yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, it was just like, they saw me and they kind of, you know, adapted it. Do you have some top tips or practices that you apply as an empowered patient? I know you mentioned one already is you go in prepared, you go with your documentation. Are there any other key things that you do? I will ask questions. Uh-huh. And I also have them now, thankfully, in the U.S., a lot of uh, things are becoming electronic. So I, I check the record, you know, mm-hmm. I not just the demographics, but I like to check my labs. And now in the age of Internet, you know, if it's something you don't understand, you can Google it. So mm-hmm. if it's like a medicine, like I said, I read the packets. So, mm-hmm. you know, I Google side effects. I you know, look at information, ask questions. And I, like I said, I, I will ghost the physician. I will get a new, I will. I, now, if you have a good working relationship with your physician, please don't. But for me, if I feel like I am not being heard or I am not valued, I don't have to stay. And you don't either. Do you though, before you go say, you know, like Dr. X, I really feel like you're not listening to me or whatever. Like, is there a conversation that you have before you? And I probably need to do better. And that's on me. The onus (laughs) is on me. Um, I can, I'm very much an introvert. So sometimes I just don't have the energy to have the conversation. And for me, I've also seen it where it's kind of like, they kind of rope you in because they're like, oh, well, let's come back in for a follow-up. And you feel like you have to come back in to continue to have this conversation. And I don't. If you're not hearing me and I'm not saying so. okay, let me clarify. I'm not saying I ghost them after one visit. I will give them a grace period. You know, I will will have multiple visits. But if after maybe four or five visits, we're still going around the same thing and I feel like you're not hearing me. I don't need to come in for any more follow ups. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I try to communicate what's happening and 
clearly there's a disconnect. So I will find someone else. Does it take a lot? Yes, because you now you have to start back and do research. You got to try other practices. You know, it it is time consuming. And I'm not saying that it's easy, but I learned that it's worth it. Because when you get a doctor who listens, when you get a doctor who can take the time and not just kind of overlook your concerns, it makes it makes a world of difference. So I think those are my top tips. Nice. Do you think that there are any myths or misconceptions when it comes to being an empowered patient? I think so. The word needy or gets thrown around a lot or something like you're trying try I'm trying to do the job of the doctor and I'm not. But the, at the end of the day, I have come to realize no one knows my body like I know my body. Mm-hmm. Right. So especially as I, you know, like I said, I've gotten older, I've been in this whole mental health process. So the more mentally I healed, the more I became in tune with my body. No one knows my body like I know it. So if I'm telling you that this is off, regardless of whether you say, oh, well, according to whatever data we have, you know, there's no nothing to be concerned about. No, my body has never done this before, you know, or... It could be something as simple as blood pressure. If you um, are keeping up with your blood pressure ranges, what's normal to the doctor could be high for you. But they're like, oh, it's normal. But you know, no, my blood pressure is never in this range. No one knows but you. And so you you owe it to yourself to, you know, be your advocate. Or mm-hmm. and, I, and sometimes you're in positions where you can't advocate for yourself, right? Maybe um, expecting mothers when they're in labor. That's why you get a doula. You have somebody there who can advocate for you, who knows your wishes. I have my friends as my emergency contacts. You know, they've come to appointments with me, like X, Y, Z. It's okay to have to have a partner, have your spouse, have these conversations and let it be known so that they know, other people are aware. Because unfortunately, at the end of the day, all they can, all the doctors can go by is textbook, mm-hmm. realizing though that we're human. We don't go by any textbook. So right. it's important to be in tune and pay attention. You know, don't just kind of sweep it under the rug. If you know, you know, you've never had a headache a day in your life, and then all of a sudden you're having severe headaches. That's your body telling you something. Yeah. Yeah. Sylvia, what was your dissertation topic? My dissertation topic was the association of suicidal ideation and suicidal behavior with dietary intake in adolescence. What did you find out? So my original hypothesis was that the less fruits and vegetables that these adolescents ate, the greater their risk for suicidal behavior. Now, this is a cross-sectional study, which meant the data came from a snapshot in time. So we couldn't really look, you can't really look at causation. But I actually found that the what happened was the more fruits and vegetables that the adolescents recorded eating, the greater the risk for suicidal behavior, which it was odd to me, but the more we looked, I and my committee, it became apparent that what actually 
one of the possibilities is what happens is when you eat foods that are high in sugar, that are processed, it actually activates a reward system in the brain. And it's the same reward system that's activated when you're addicted to alcohol, when you're addicted, it's the reward system. So it makes you feel good. And now when you make a drastic change, like say, if you go from eating foods high in fat, processed foods, foods high in sugar to eating more fruits and vegetables, trying to change your diet, you go through this window of withdrawal, which actually decreases depression and increases the risk for these suicidal behaviors. Wait, the withdrawal decreases or increases the risk? Increases, sorry. Okay. Increases. So when you go through the withdrawal, it increases the you know, risk for depression and suicidal behaviors. And because adolescence, it's a phase where everything is up and down. So we also can rule out other issues because that's also the period where you're more concerned about your body image. You know, you want to look a certain way. So, you know, they have maybe on diet, these fad diets, these diet pills. So, but that was the interesting connection because I never considered the the window of change that your brain has to go through to adjust to the change, you know? So <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Cause I was uh, so sure you would say, yeah, sure. Those who eat more fruits and vegetables definitely, definitely will have lower suicidal ideation, but it sounds like you found the opposite. And that window of change is quite interesting. I never considered that, but it makes, it makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah. Cause I go through withdrawal too, when I try to do right. <laughs> Do you know what the uh, the length of time is that it takes to get over that withdrawal hump of like, oh man, I, I so needly need these snacks or these cigarettes or this alcohol to, oh, okay. I do not. I'm on board with this. I do not, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it's got to be a month or longer. And I'm mm-hmm. just going off of that famous phase. Like it takes 21 days to build a habit. Mm-hmm. So it's got to take yeah. twice as long to break one or something like that. But, yeah. but like I said, by being a cross-sectional study, it was a secondary data analysis too. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was, we were only limited at the kind of associations we could say for sure were happening. And it was one point in time? Yeah. It's like, so I took the data from CDC and it's like the data spanned over 10 years. But when the, you know, the students take these surveys, it's literally whatever day they're administering it, that's it. So it's not like a longitudinal where they will follow up with the same student. So you have no way of knowing, is it cause effect? You know, what happened yesterday prior to them taking the survey was happening uh-huh. tomorrow. <laughs> so, right, right. yeah. Very interesting. I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> I was <laughs> I not like, I feel like it's so relevant to what we're talking about in a sense. And that's the funny thing it is, but I... Being that I graduated in like 2018, I'm now like used to people not really caring anymore about my dissertation. Like when I first graduated, that was the big talk, right? Oh, what was your dissertation on? And now it's like, okay, that's old news. (laughs) Now me, I'm still passionate about it. As we kind of wrap up Zenobia, are there any closing thoughts that come to mind that you want to share with the audience? I think I, I just really want people to take care of themselves and to be safe. Mm -hmm. honestly like be safe yes and I know that's like so simple but that's just where I am one of my friends passed recently from COVID at 36 Mm -hmm. so 
I'm very much, you know, want people to take care of themselves because it's not a joke. Yeah. Not to get, you know, onto COVID, but yeah. make good choices. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all, you know, all the things we would tell our kids, like, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying be fearful, but, you know, just like we get in the car and put our seatbelts on, just make decisions and, you know, whatever works for you. But be mindful of other people. I think that's where we're, where we're kind of missing is, you know, be concerned about the welfare of your fellow, your fellow friends, your family members. It's true. A lot of people aren't necessarily thinking that way or I guess thinking it's all all right or it won't be them or I have no idea what they're thinking. So Zenobia, where can people find you if they want to learn more about Black Health, Black Wealth or any of your other initiatives? So I have a website. You can be found on the web, blackhealthblackwealth.org. We're also on Instagram at blackhealthblackwell. So we have a couple of things coming up that are in the works, but I do have a book club where there's a book choice to read, and then we meet and have an open discussion. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's a safe space. So I am very intentional on practicing what I preach. So this year I've been talking about a lot about self-care and I've been sharing bits and pieces of my mental health journey. And so the theme for this year's book club was good mental health as well. And so the last book club session for this year is coming up at the end of October. I was trying to get it in before we hit the holidays. I can't believe we are already almost at the holidays. So, but yeah, check us out. You can subscribe to my newsletter. I've got a few changes that I'm going to be making. So there, the, my newsletter subscribers are always the first to know. They get discount codes for any offerings. I also have a workbook that is available for purchase to kind of work through just breaking the stigma. There's some creative writing exercises There's a section on, I'm very big on affirmations. So there's a section on developing your affirmations and getting away from the limiting beliefs. And self-care is big, but does not have to be extravagant. And so I definitely go into that. There's a blog on my website. In October, we'll be back to our weekly blog posts. So there's just the information. And if you check out the Instagram, you know, I try to do encouraging posts and interact. So Reach out, say hi. I'm very open, personable. I can be very transparent. Yeah. I testify that all that is true. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming to the Good Health Cafe and sharing your knowledge and your story with us. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As usual, if you've heard something useful that you'd like to share with a friend, then please do so. Sharing is caring. So until next time, see you in the cafe later. Bye.